0: verses 1 through 6, James chapter 5, 1 through 6. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word this morning. Today we are living in a highly self-righteous society. Why do I say that? Well, Because these days everyone claims to know right from wrong. Today we have many people who are crying out for justice which in itself is right, because justice, what it means is, is the fair treatment between individuals. And it is the setting up of laws to help ensure that treatment. And we all have the law of God in our hearts, don't we? It is all on our conscience. We, we can say that the last six commandments of the Ten commandments are written on our hearts in how we are to treat our neighbors. Because the question is, is, where do we go to, to know what justice truly is? Well, we must go to the character and the law of God. But that law that has been revealed to all men has been Suppressed. Due to sin. It has been distorted. So what we see today is a distortion of that law. So we must go. We must go to the law of God to know what true justice is between man and man. And we have books like Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy that explains what true justice is in the context of the nation of Israel. But today, as we see all around us, justice is being redefined and misused for a personal and selfish gain of power and dominance. And it is not based on the law of God. Rather, it is mostly based on emotions, popular opinion, or found in Internet polls. Now, living in this sort of society, Christians ought to be a light To this darkness. Because we know the scriptures. We know God. We know his law. And we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That saves from the condemnation of that law. But we forget. How often we forget. That we are meant to reflect. A just and merciful God. James here now addresses. The unbelieving rich people in the midst of these churches. Those who have placed all their hope and trust in themselves and in their wealth. Not only that, but he is addressing primarily how they got rich. They got rich through criminal and unjust ways. Why? Why would anyone try to get rich quick through criminal means. Well, because they believe that this world is all that there is, and they place all of their stock in it. Pardon the pun. They believe that money can buy everything, and if there is a God, then He would be persuaded by their wealth and their importance. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is a God, and God is just. So He calls them to reason with Him. He warns them that there is a just God and that there is a coming judgment. And though this is a warning to unbelievers, it should also be a warning to believers as well. Because we live in a world that is constantly telling us what our worth is. A world that is telling us how to measure that worth. The world and the rich of our society are telling us that our worth is found in our wealth and what we own and what we have accomplished for ourselves in this life. It is all about self, me and my identity. So the irony is that there is always this temptation to do whatever it takes to hoard what has been given to us or to take what has not been given to us. And here we see a lingering doom hanging over those who do not take this passage seriously. So I've given three courses of action for us to follow. First, lament and be saved. Secondly, store up treasures in heaven. And thirdly, hear the cries of the people of God. So first... He proclaims judgment on the unjust and the greedy. Uh, These were rich landowners, as our text will tell us, who have gained massive wealth unjustly. He says to them, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Weep and howl just as those who have wept and howled under your heavy hand. Weep and howl just as those who could not fight against your worldly power. Now God calls them to weep and howl under the one who has all the power. He called on believers earlier to mourn over their sin in this life. But now he calls on unbelievers to mourn over their condition if they do not repent. Just like he called on the pagan nations to repent of their injustice toward Israel. And like when he called Israel to repent... Of their injustice toward their own people, the people of God. This is why the Lord asked in Isaiah chapter 1 When you come to appear before me, who has required this trampling of my courts? And this is embedded. It's embedded in God's law that Israel is to treat the poor in their midst with justice. Why? Because God has concern for the poor. He cares for the poor, the needy, the sick, the widows, the orphans. Ultimately, all those who cannot do for themselves. Because it reflects the spiritual nature of His people. Poverty... It's just a physical reminder of our own spiritual needs. So that we never look down on anyone at all, despite their physical condition. Later, Israel will begin to ignore God's laws. Especially in regard to the proper treatment of the poor in their midst. By the time you get to Jesus' day, there were those in leadership over God's people... Who wanted to be rich at the expense of those under their care. And they lorded their authority over them. Looking down on the poor. James now runs into the same sort of folks. They love wealth and not God. But as Paul says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And Jesus says only with difficulty. Will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. And why? Why would he say that? Not because being rich is wrong in itself. But because our riches and our worldly gain can be a hindrance of true discipleship. It could be a hindrance to our faith. We can get lazy in our walk. Because we are resting in what we own rather than in the one who owns us. And not only that. But there are miseries that are coming upon those who continue to ignore God's call to himself to be saved. And he gives us the details of these miseries. He gives us details of God's judgment. There's a book called, We Become What We Worship. If we worship idols... We become idols ourselves, seeking self-importance and self-worship. But also, here we see in our text, it's as if what we worship becomes us. Why? Well, if you look at the passage, they love their riches and their garments. And they love their gold and silver. But what happens to them all? They fade away. Just like us. Riches rot away. Garments are moth-eaten. Gold and silver corrode and rust. Now, the irony in this passage is that gold and silver cannot rust away. That is why they are considered so valuable to us. But he is showing here, his, his readers, how they are of no value in comparison To the riches that we can store up in heaven. And they are of no comparison to the blessings of being a just people. And all of these objects are like false idols carved out of wood. That will one day pass away when we pass away from this earthly life. And that's why it is a misery to those who worship these things. If these things are all that we treasure... It will be misery for us because that is the end of all things we own in this world and we can't take it with us when we die. It will eventually pass away. Think of all the time that we spend in the gathering and saving of worldly treasures that when they do fade away if we put all of our cares in them instead of God it is completely devastating when we lose them. Not only is it devastating to us. But here he speaks of judgment. He says that the rust or corrosion of the gold and silver. Will be evidence or a witness against you. And all the time we may have wasted in gathering and worshipping false idols. But it is not only a misuse of time. This is a misuse of our wealth. Because God provides us with all good things. These are good things. Money, gold, clothing. These are good things and they are to be used to help human life and to help others around us. But if we hoard them as treasures to be idolized and worshipped, we can only expect the worst of miseries. And to intensify the misery and to warn them of their judgment. He says, and it will eat your flesh like fire. If we have ever known what the psalmist describes. That when I kept silent. And didn't confess my sin to God. Meaning I didn't turn to God. My bones wasted away from the misery. But here he is saying it will be far worse for those who refuse to turn to God now. In this world. Just like in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Where the rich man lived and feasting every day. He had riches and more than enough to go around. And Lazarus, the poor man covered with sores who desired just the crumbs off the rich man's table suffered right outside the rich man's gates meaning he was there crying for help and the rich man refused. But when they both died the rich man's riches were evidence against him in his torment in Hades and by that time it was too late for him. And all along the way He did not hear, rather he ignored Lazarus' cry for help. And now Lazarus is filled with the bread of heaven. This ought to be a reminder that we are living on borrowed time and that God can claim us at any moment. What are we doing with our own possessions? Using them for good? Or hoarding them for evil. Paul helps by admonishing the rich. And how they are not to be haughty. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We are to enjoy our possessions. That's clear. We can enjoy our possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. But also he says... They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now imagine you go into your closet to find your favorite coat has been moth-eaten. As I think of this text, I, I think of when Paul tells Timothy, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. You see, he had a favorite coat. And he also had favorite books. So do I. We all have objects that we treasure, that we consider are important. That's not the problem here. The problem is when our favorite fill in the blank becomes our all in all. And it is all that we love and it is all that we love more than God and more than the people of God. When it gets in the way of the worship of God. It is a problem when it becomes idolatry as a thing to be worshipped rather than a thing to be used for good. And it is a very thin line to cross, isn't it? It is a thin line to cross between using something such as money for good. Whether for ourselves, our families, our churches, our neighbors, our society. And it is a thin line between that And hoarding it for evil. This was the problem when Jesus cleansed the temple of the money changers. As we celebrate uh, Passover week, that would be tomorrow. Back in those days it would be tomorrow. When he cleansed the temple of the money changers. Because they brought their idolatry and their greed into the house set apart for God and turned it into a den of thieves. It was their idolatry. It was their sin that was their their problem. And they would probably argue, Hey, we are raising money for God and for His temple. And on the flip side, we see this when Jesus was anointed with expensive ointment. And Judas said, why wasn't the ointment sold for money and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor. But because he was a thief. And he had his hands in the money bags. We, we have this example today. With uh, many preachers and some of them being uh, race hustlers. Who often use churches. They say they stand up for certain groups of people. They say they stand up for the poor and they expect everyone else to pay up except for themselves, while they themselves are millionaires getting rich off the ones who they say they defend. It is a very thin line to cross, isn't it? But God knows our hearts and what we treasure begins in our hearts. So we ask ourselves, what type of treasures are we hoarding? What type of treasures are we storing up? Because he is warning us to consider the times that we are living in. He says, you have laid up treasures in the last days. Uh, Most of us save for our individual last days, uh, for our retirement, which is good. It is responsible. But he is warning those who are greedily hoarding their riches. That they are laying up treasures in the last days. What are the last days? The last days are right now. It is the time we are living in. Whether we are retired or not. Newborn on the cusp of eternity. Because Christ may return at any moment. But upon awaiting his return, what did Jesus tell his people to do or or not to do? He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our wealth And what we own are not reliable to provide nothing more than what is earthly. They will not be transferred into heaven. U.S. currency will not be transferred into heavenly currency. Unless, of course, we use our possessions for the good of the kingdom of God. We think of this church building. And how all of us invest into it. And it is a vehicle for us to gather, to hear the gospel, to hear the word of God. We are investing in these ways for this heavenly kingdom. Our possessions cannot provide eternal life in themselves. And unlike our riches, God is reliable. God gives us life in Jesus Christ without riches. The Bible says, without pay, come and drink of the water of eternal life. So it is in God where our hearts should be all of our confidence, trust, hope, and rest. And if we are blessed with riches, why not use it for good and for heavenly treasure that lasts for eternity? Now the problem in this text is not just about greed. It's not just about hoarding riches. It's also about the how and the who. It's about how you got rich and who you stepped on to get rich. It's like my grandfather used to say, Yeah, I don't have much. I have my daily bread. But at least I, I don't have blood on my hands. Here this text is about justice versus injustice. Despite what is going on in our society. And the the hypocrisy of those who claim to be on the side of justice. Christians are called to be a just people. And I don't want us to get confused here. Because when we first read this text. Living in an over politicized culture. With many over-politicized churches. There are certain false teachings that we may have believed that can cause us to misinterpret and misapply this text. As I've said before, I'll never tell you who to vote for. That is none of my business. That is not my role. But, if there is false teaching rising out of politics and it is affecting the church, all Christians are called to address it. You think of the social gospel that arose in the 1920s. And it has lasted for over 100 years. And now today we have critical race theory. The social gospel views all of the Bible through the lens Of social struggles. Critical race theory. Views all of history. Through the lens of racial struggles. And both of these. Are rooted. In Marxism. And Karl Marx. Viewed all of history. Through the lens of class struggle. So all it's doing in all of these theories. It is putting people against one another. Certain groups. And so let me say this right off the bat. There is nothing in scripture or in God's word that supports a Marxist or socialist system. Including this text. God is not putting class against class here. This is not about different classes. Rich versus the poor. These are not labor workers protesting unjust wages. In fact, there there are laborers in the Bible who protested unjust wages. And it is found in Matthew 20. Speaking of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Where three three groups of people got paid the same amount. And they worked different amount of hours. So, those who worked longer complained to the owner of the vineyard, saying, Why am I getting paid the same as this guy who worked for less? And what did the owner of the vineyard say? To sum it up, he said, Who are you to tell me what to do with my money and my land? And who are you to tell me who to hire and when to hire? I'm the owner. And you agreed to the wage. If you agree to a wage, you think of our jobs today. If you agree to a wage, there's nothing unjust about it. You agree to it. Here, they're not protesting unjust wages. This is about the law of God. This is about sin. And it so happens that the culprit are the rich landowners. This is about thievery. This is about theft. We have two parties here. The landowner and the worker. The landowner and the worker. Not the landowner's ancestors or descendants. The landowner and the worker. And both of them have an agreement. The landowner is to pay the worker who mows his field. He does a job. He gets paid. What the wage was... We don't know. High or low? In any case, the worker expects to get paid. But what happens? The landowner withholds the pay by fraud. He tricks the worker and steals his pay. It is theft. It is breaking the law of God. That pay was owed to the worker and he withholds us, withholds it. Many of you know that if you agree to pay someone something for a job and you don't pay what was promised, you're going to be in a lot of trouble with the law. That's not Marxism. Marxism is, uh, promotes a system that wants to either eliminate or to take the landowner's wealth And redistribute it even to those who have not worked for it. Here, the worker has worked for it, and it was stolen from him. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army of angels who are at his beck and call. To do his bidding. And he will bring judgment on the unjust. Who steal from the mouths of others. For greedy gain. Why? Why is he warning them of this judgment? Because all throughout scripture. God calls his people to be a just people. In order to reflect their God. God hears the cries of his people. So we too are to hear the cries of the people of God. We are called to care for others as Christ cared for us when He gave up His life on the cross for our sins. This is what it means to carry the cross and to follow Him. But instead here, some have lived in luxury. But not just luxury alone. We know from Scripture, luxury is not a problem. Uh, Neither is wealth. Because God made Israel to live in luxury for a while. When they captured the promised land. But the, but the problem here again, it's theft. It is when we live in luxury, we can become self-indulgent, greedy, always looking for more. And never being content. So we do whatever it takes, even if it's to steal from the innocent. To get what is not ours. Again, it is godlessness. Living as though God does not exist and that he cannot see what we do with what he has given us. Paul encourages the Ephesian church in the same way when he addressed the bond servants and masters. And how the masters ought to treat their servants well. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours, is in heaven. What he means by that is that he is in heaven and he sees all things and everything that we do. And that there is no partiality with him. He doesn't care what banner you, you hide behind. He cares about what you're doing. He cares about what Christians are doing with the freedom that we have in Christ. Because free are slave in this world, we are called to be a just people. Why does Paul tell the church, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He even tells the Corinthian church that he says, I've done all this work for you, I'm entitled to get paid. Because we are called to be a just people. Giving to others what is their due and not hoarding our wealth. In these last days we ought to be compelled to be generous. Just as God has been generous with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's mercy reigns on us each day. Why not do the same for others? Because to disregard this call to allow our wealth to be used for good is to disregard God's grace in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but their sin was breaking the law found in Deuteronomy 24 that we read earlier. It says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land, within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. For he is poor and counts on it. Lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Why would we be guilty of sin in this case? Not only would it be stealing or would it be covetous. Because in those days, if you withheld one day's wage. It could lead to someone starving to death. it would have been murder. That's why he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, a child of God, one who works for his livelihood. It is stealing of one's life. It's just as bad as when Cain killed Abel and the voice of Abel's blood was crying out from the ground, crying out for justice, and God heard those cries. And since he was weak and poor. Since he does not have the power that we have or what we think we have if we have money. He couldn't resist him. It says he does not resist because he can't resist. He is powerless. He is weak. Just in this text we have covered many misuses. Of our riches and, the, and what comes from the love of money. We have seen the misuse of our time in these last days and all the time it takes to get rich. Uh, don't believe it, we, we can't get rich quick. Uh, that's a lie. We've seen the misuse of our wealth and the way we hoard it for ourselves. But what is most important in this text is the misuse of power. They say money is power. And they have misused that power. We we see a lot of that going on today, don't we? Where people use their so-called power and their wealth to manipulate situations for their own benefits. And those who are under them are too weak to resist. And we understand... And I hope we understand that God is a just God. And He is the one who has all power that some think they have. And it is a fearful thing to be on this side of the judgment. To try to compete with God's power. So the question is, what side of the judgment are you on? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Who has all the power. And all the glory and all the honor. Can you call yourself a Christian? But if you are a Christian, if you have bowed the knee, this text should be in, an encouragement in three ways. First, this text should encourage you never to envy the fortune of others. Especially when they have stolen it or misused it to mistreat others for their own gain. Secondly, this should encourage you that God hears our cries. He hears our prayers. He hears our moans and our groans. He hears when we have been treated unjustly. When we have been wronged, not only in financial scams, but when we have been wronged in any unjust manner. And thirdly, there is the assurance that God is the ultimate avenger of wrongs done to us. No matter who has wronged you, in whatever way, whether you know it or not, whether it's in these church walls or outside these church walls, God is the true avenger of evil done to us. And we can rest in that. And that is why we are called to pray for our enemies, isn't it? Not only for our own sake, but for their sake. That they may be saved from the wrath to come if they don't repent. Now think of all the riches that we have in Christ. Would we trade the luxuries of this world for the luxuries of heaven? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms or dwelling places. Some translations say mansions. Hey, I could go for a mansion. Whatever he meant. The point is, what we have in heaven is far greater than anything we can possess here on this earth. What are the dwelling places in this world? What are the riches of this world? What are the places of power of this world? Now as, as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, many Christians are celebrating it, in how Christ came into Jerusalem, He came riding on a colt and donkey. In the humblest way possible in those days. And people were singing his praise anyway. He didn't come with chariots. And soldiers following him. He came in a lowly fashion. Not grandiose. Flashing all of his power. Because his kingdom was not of this world. His riches was not of this world. Well in fact he owns everything. And that is the irony behind that story. So what are the places of power and the riches of this world in comparison to what Christ has as He owns everything and what He has promised to give us? And what was that? Everything that He has. So my admonishment to you this morning is to let us Keep our eyes on Him and upon those treasures in heaven. Amen. Let us pray.